One of the greatest treasures we have uh, from the Holocaust period is Taira that was given by the PSS Rebbe, who is the um, author of the Chayvah Satalmidim and Achshar um, Savreichim, Tzavaziras, other Svarim like that. Um, a big Godel, a big Tzaddik. And he said Taira in the Warsaw Ghetto and he wrote it down. It was put into canisters and it was buried and it was found after the war. And it's a sefer called Eish Kaidesh. And it's the Torah he said in the Warsaw Ghetto. And some fascinating points that he wrote there. One, at one point he wrote in Parshas Chukas, I forgot which year this was, but he says, I'm just going to translate into um, English. It's a Pella, how the world is still standing. After so many screams like this, when the Asari Harugay Malkus took place, it says that the Malachim screamed out, Zu Taira, Zu Schara. And Abbas Koyal from Shemayim answered back that if I hear another Koyal, I will turn the world back into water. And he said, now when you have young children, that are like holy angels and G'daylim and G'dayshi Yisrael all getting murdered and, sh- and shechted and tortured because they are Eden and they're bigger than Malachim and the whole world is full of their screams. How is the world not turning into water? How is the world staying the way it's supposed to stay as it's staying as if nothing is affecting it? So that's one thing he said. Another thing he said, very fascinating, is at first he gave a Torah back in 1940 or something in that period where there was still a certain level, despite the fact that there was still murder and blood on the streets and hunger, there was still a certain functionality still, still some type of a community connection. Um, it was still Shaykh, they had Tehillims, it was Shaykh to have some type of communal connection. Uh, there was Batei Madrashim in, hidden in basements where people were still able to learn a little bit. And when he gave this, those um, Drashas in, in, in 1940, he said that even if we don't have Kavon, we can't concentrate because we're weak, we're tired, we're starving. Nevertheless, you even learn one Pusik, you'll learn a Pusik in Gemara, in Medrash, and um, that shows a tremendous amuna. And, 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 and he encouraged people to try to do that, to try to say some Tehillim. They can't concentrate uh, because of all the tzaras on, on, on being Mesamic in, in things be'iyun, but they should still try to learn to the best of their ability and try to say Tehillim to the best of their ability. On the, beneath that, you see a note. Because he said in the top there, he said these tsaras in 1940 he had said that these tsaras are not new. These tsaras took place all through the generations. You had such tsaras even in the time of the Hormon and in Beitar. We had such tsaras and they were able to they were able to um, hold up and we could hold up too. But then he wrote a note on the bottom that he wrote two years later in 1942, right before the liquidation of the ghetto, which I believe took place in January of 1943. And this was written Hanukkah. This particular thing was written Hanukkah. 
at the end of 1942. And he wrote there that he said that until the Tsaris, this that I said above, that you had Tsaris like this in the times of the Hurban and in, and in other times in history, those are in the Tsaris that took place until the end of 1942. But now, at the end of 1942, with all these unusual Tsaris, these terrible deaths, these unusual deaths that the evil Nazis, those murderers, that's what they use the words, that Mechadish new ways to kill, new ways to torture. That from the end of 1942, according to my ability and my knowledge of looking through all the Chazals and the whole history of Kla Yisrael, there was never such tsaris. Hashem Yerachim Aleinu, V'yatzileinu Miyodam B'keheref Ayin. He wrote that on Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Yud Ches Kislev of Tavshin Gimel which was the end of 1942. He says in another place, um, again, I mixed up two things. He said before that, uh, that you were, in 1940, you could still say Tehillim and things like that. And um, in a note on the bottom, he says the same thing. In 1942, he writes, that was in two years ago. But right now, um, we're in such a matzah that you can't even say a word of Tillam. It's just not Shaya. He said something to that effect. That Lushan I don't have in front of me, but if you look up the H. Kodesh, you'll see what I'm talking about. There's also diaries written in World War II that are very moving. You have from the non-religious world a diary of Anne Frank. We're not going to talk about that now. Um, that's famous. I'm going to mention one particular passage of a diary of a Woman, a twenty who was around twenty-seven, I believe, when she was killed. Someone at the Hillsiems. Now she was not from. She was not religious. Actually, led a very um, um, liberal life, to put it mildly. And um, but as she went through the war, and as she suffered, she was murdered in Auschwitz. I think at the end of nineteen forty-two, beginning of nineteen forty-three. But as the suffering was taking place, she became more and more um, spiritual and more and more recognizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm just going to say one, um, it's pretty poetic, but I'm going to quote uh, a particular passage that she wrote at the end. So you see the addition of Shama there, even from a, someone that was secular, acted secular, maybe not, didn't know about from Yiddishkeit, did not lead a life of Tyra but suffered and then saw a lot of truth um, as she was suffering. She writes, I realize now, God, how much you have given me, so much that was beautiful and so much that was hard to bear, yet whenever I showed myself ready to bear it, the hard was directly transformed into the beautiful. And the beautiful was sometimes much harder to bear, so so overpowering did it seem. To think that one small human heart can experience so much so much suffering and so much love, I am grateful to you, God, for having chosen my heart at these times to experience all the things that it has experienced. Perhaps it is all to the good I fell ill. I am not yet reconciled to that fact. I am a little numb and bewildered and helpless, but at the same time I am trying to scrape together what patience I have from all the corners of my being, and I shall have to find a new kind of patience to meet this entirely new state of affairs. 
I shall follow the tried and tested old method, talking to myself now and again on these faint blue lines, and talking to you, God, is that all right? With the passing of people, I feel a growing need to speak to you alone. I love people so terribly because in every human being, I love something of you. I seek you everything in them, everywhere in them, and often do find something in you. But I need so much patience, patience and thought, and things will be difficult. And now I have to do everything by myself. And then she writes a sentence as follows. The best and noblest part of my friend, of the man whose light you kindled in me, is now in you. What she's saying over here is that when she's, as she's suffering and she sees the people that are suffering with her, she sees HaKadosh Baruch Hu in them. She, she sees Hashem in them. There's one particular person that was killed in the war that is not well known in, in the secular circles. Was a, was a, was a boy named Moshe Flinker. He was born in 1926, and he was actually from, he was Orthodox Jewish, maybe a little more modern Orthodox with some Zionist leanings, but he was extremely, he was a Shema Shabbos, a kosher, total Shema Shabbos, Orthodox from home, and they uh, ran to, Bel- they went to the Netherlands in the 1940, they ran to Belgium, and in Belgium they hid for a while. He was a very d- deeply religious from boy, in his uh, young teens, 16, 17, and he studied languages and, and, and um, brilliant boy. And uh, 1944, in April, uh, him, his mother, his sisters, named Estamal Kalea, were arrested. They were deported. And, um, and, um, the, the, basically, they all went, ended up in Auschwitz in May 1944. His mother was murdered. His father was murdered. Or his mo- father actually died in typhus in the camp. And uh, he died in Bergen-Belsen. Died of typhus in January 1945, right before the liberation, a little few months before. Only his two sisters survived. And... Um, he writes very poetically. Um, he wrote once right near before Rosh Hashanah in uh, 1943. And um, basically he writes as follows. I am sitting facing the sun. Soon it will set. It is nearing the horizon. It is as red as blood as if it was a bleeding wound. From where does it get so much blood? For days there has been a red sun, but this is not hard to understand. It is not sufficient to weep in these days of anguish. Suffering stares at me on every side, in every direction, and still further troubles appear before your eyes. Here a man and woman, both over 70, are taken away. There you meet a Jew who has been hiding, who has no money to live, and elsewhere you meet a Jew whose fortunes is gone because he invested it in dollars, which for some unknown reason have become worthless. Troubles never end. And every time I meet a child of my people, I ask myself, Moshe, what are you doing for him? I feel responsible for every single pain. I ask myself whether I'm still participating in the troubles of my people or whether I have withdrawn completely from them. That's a sensitive boy. He wrote this on Tisha B'Av, on Tisha B'Av itself, August 10th, 1943. 
And he writes on Tisha B'Av, 1943, as follows. Today, it is 2,529 years since the destruction of our first temple. On this day, we recall our people, from the defenders of the wall of Yerushalayim to the victims of the Gestapo, who have fallen in the name of their pe- people and their, and their God. On this day, our thoughts go to our people, wherever they may be, and especially to that part of our precious few who bear the greatest and heaviest load of the burden of exile. Only a few years ago, when we had attained the apparent quality of civil rights, it seemed that the burden borne by Israel for so many years has disappeared com- completely. That is why it has struck us again with greater cruelty and force. Today, the majority of our people are suffering. These people who only a few years back, who lived comfortably in their cities in exile, are now God knows where. Perhaps they are laboring in the mines of Cilicia. Perhaps they are slaves in the fields of Russia. Who knows? Who can tell us? On this Tishabov, in these days of incomparable trouble, we are united with all Israel, united in agony and pain. On this Tishabov, on 5703, that was Tufshin Gimel, our eyes shall fill with tears, but we shall not cast down our heads. Our troubles and our plight shall replace our prayers, and they shall come before the throne of the Lord to intercede for his people. On Tisha B'Av 5703, the only prayer which lay at the feet of the ha- a God is the magnitude of his mercy will equal the immensity of the troubles which have assailed and continue to assail our unfortunate people. In one of the thousands of pamphlets from the agonies of exile, which are microcosms of the entire gullus, which demonstrate the the universality of our afflictions. And um, he writes very, very moving things. Clearly a tremendous maimon. And it's beautiful to read his biography. I took it out of the library when I was a teenager, and now it's out of print. I have no idea where to get it. Online, you see a few pieces of that diary. And um, if you come across it, it's, 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 it's a, beautiful, um, a beautiful thing. There's another one that they found. It's, an, it's someone named Leah, age 13. And I'm going to end off this piece over here from Czechoslovakia. I have two lines of what she writes. She may have written this a little before the war, or maybe in the beginning of the war, when she was killed. And this is just two lines of what she wrote. She wrote, when I went to shul, I made sure not to miss even one single word. This is how precious the Hebrew words of prayer are to me. It's a 13-year-old girl. She had real, real special neshamas that left the world then. And um, we don't understand why. Uh, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu does understand. And Atzor Tamim Pa'oloi is just beyond our comprehension to understand how this is so and why. But again, we're not supposed to understand. And that's part of our Nisayan. But Enoid Mulvadoi and Be'et Hashem will see the Gula Shleim of Mehed of Yemenu Amin. We can't be mastic what the Gula will look like. Very often, you know, when we think about Be'ez Hashem, that will be a Gula, and um, we 
don't really, even the ones that are maminim and they yearn for it and the mechak of every day and they're, they're yearning for the Beis HaMikdash, I don't think any of us have any comprehension of how wondrous it's going to be. But again, if we, we are maimin, mida toive meruba. And if all of the Yisurim, of all the Gullis, all through the thousands of years we've been with all the bloodshed and all the mysterious nefesh, and we know that the Geula will be Mida Taiva Maruba, how wondrous will it be, Metzeshem, when Metzeshem will be Zaycha to see it, how wondrous it will be. And that's what we're hoping for, and that's what we're yearning for. And that's why Tishabov, together with being a time of Avelis, is also a time of hope. And especially, it's brought down in Svarim that um, after Mincha time, it says the latest Mashiach is the Mincha time, whatever that's supposed to mean, exactly after Chatzais, when you see some sparks of, again, the halachas, except for the sitting on the floor, but the rest of the halachas of Tishabov and the entire day. But there is still a spark of hope taking place as Tishabov um, moves on and as the afternoon goes along and we start seeing a nitzitz, a spark of the Geula Asida, which we actually start being Meramas to as we go through first the Nechemta, the Nachamu Nachamuami after Tishabov and then ultimately the 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 the, the the nevua, the wondrous nevua about the gula that should come, the mehir of Yemenu, amen.